0: Everybody and welcome back to another episode of East Screen West Screen. This is episode forty-nine for Wednesday, November twenty-fourth. Once again, I'm Paul Fox, and somewhere in the Fragrant Harbor, hopefully not gnawing on a turkey yet, is Mr. Kevin Ma.
1: I'm back, bitches.
0: Hey, welcome ah. back, Kevin. Hi, guys. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? All right. It's been a while. Uh, big thanks to Tim Youngs for filling in second chair for you last time. Uh, what have you been up to?
1: Um, I had some uh, family, well, actually, my entire family were in, was in town uh, last couple of weeks. Uh, I did a little something called a graduation. Um, I'm apparently now a master's degree holder. I don't know how I did it, but I managed to do it. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, and then, of course, there was that little thing that I tweeted all yesterday. Um, you know, the big social, social event of the year, so to speak, yeah. what we call Kozo's wedding. Um, so yeah, that's after, now that's done. Um, I think I can finally sleep.
0: Yeah. So it's been a pretty busy time and, uh, it's going to get busier now that we have the holidays upon us. Um, are you planning to do any, uh, turkey dining with your family before they head back off?
1: Oh, they were already headed back, but, um, what I... It looks like you be gonna be, you're going to be pretty busy, Paul. It's yeah, your turn. Yeah,
0: I'll be heading out next week and uh, it's uh, going to be non-stop pretty much until after the new year. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, yeah, you've been watching any films? Well, no, I mean, after I finish the uh, the film festival, I mean, the only films we watch are going to be the e-screen stuff that we're about to talk about and I think um, stuff that I usually write reviews for. Um, but hopefully with... With the, you know everything dying down now and going back to regular schedule, hopefully I'll be catching a few movies.
0: All right, and we've got a few movies to talk about today. We're going to be playing a little bit of catch-up uh, since Kevin wasn't here last time and since there have been a couple films that we've seen, particularly for West Screen, and we haven't really talked about many West Screen films of late, we're going to catch up on some of that plus some of the other stuff that we've seen. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, this is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood, and lots of stuff in between. But before we get into that, let's get into some news. All right, for our East Screen news this week, a little bit of sad news for people here in Hong Kong. Um, Wong Tin Lam uh, passed away, and uh, this many of you may recognize him as sort of a character actor who's appeared in a number of movies in recent years. Um, and more recently, he was in... I think he was in a Dennis Law's film. Was that the last last appearance that he made
1: um, yeah, in uh, Bad Blood? Yes, I believe Bad Blood is his final film because uh, his... I mean, look at his size. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, he's usually the really big, plumpy guy in um, Johnny Tone movies and in some Wong Jing movies because Wong Jing is his son. Um, yeah, his last film appearance was Bad Blood because uh, his health... Hasn't been well for a while, so he's been making actually less and less uh, film appearances.
0: Yeah, and uh, he was in uh, he was in election, wasn't he? He was one. Yes, of the, he was actually
1: nominated for best supporting actor. Yeah, uh, he, in he was the one of the first older
0: uh, older leaders, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes. My favorite. We were we twittering a while ago about favorite performances, though. Um, the one that stands out for me always is his uh, role. I mean, it's a small role, but uh, somewhat funny role in. Um, Fat Choi Spirit the Chinese New Year Mahjong movie.
1: Yes, I always as I tweeted um I always liked him in more comedic roles because I guess well I guess because kind of his his appearance always made him a bare comedic um side character. Also, I really liked him in uh The Mission uh partly because it was the first time I've seen him in a film, I think as far back as I can remember anyway. And also because of how I guess how important his character was in that film as well. Um Actually, uh, Teen Lump, So, as uh, people in the industry call him, he's also quite well known as a director. He he directed. He was a very successful director in the fifties and the sixties of comedies, and he was also um, he went to TVB, I think, in the seventies, and he was the mentor of Ringo Lam and Johnny To. I mean, you think about it, he he, he would mentor his son. Um, actually, Wang Jing, I think, was at, MT, at TVB at the time, and um, so I'm sure they worked very closely as well. Um, but it was a funny. Um, Story that Johnny Toe talked about uh, when uh, Tina Meso was on the set of the mission, he said, and I tweeted about this. He 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 had Tina Meso was uh, actually loudly saying how he 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 didn't know what Johnny Toe was doing. He said he never understands what Johnny Toe is doing. Um, whenever Johnny Toe makes a movie, he doesn't know. No one ever knows what he's, what he's what he's doing. So of course that's kind of funny because he kept one because Johnny Toe respected uh, Mr. Wong so much and how you know. always you know appeared in his film so you know it almost seems like this kind of um tough love father-son relationship uh and yeah he's always seems like a very he's a very beloved character in the hong kong film circle and uh he'll be fondly missed
0: our next bit of news um three films will be headed to the oscars to compete for the animated category uh these include japan's summer wars um the dream uh china's the dream of jin sha and australia australia's legend of the guardians the owls of gahule which we talked about a couple shows back so um asia's getting a pretty big presence in the oscars this year for animation what do you think do these films uh Think any of these films will come out on top?
1: Well, okay. I, I think counting, you know, uh, Legends Legend of the Guardian is kind of a stretch because that's a Warner Brothers film. I'm not sure if Warner Brothers is a direct investor. But um, still, uh, it, it's uh, it's made by an American director. Or I think Zack Snyder is Canadian or American. Anyway, American slash Canadian director. Uh, um, it's a Western, Western money and... Uh, you know, as great as that is for Australian animation, I don't think it does anything for Asian animation in general. I I am, however, I'm not sure if we captured that burp, by the way. I am, however, very proud to see Summer Wars on that list because that's a film I liked a lot uh, and it's from a director that, uh up-and-coming director, I believe I named Summer Wars one of my best uh, Asian films of last decade, I think, and I said that um, director Hosoda Mamoru and, and Madhouse, they will... They're very likely to become the next Ghibli if if um Studio Ghibli ever loses its its footing as the the the, the leader of, of Japanese animation. Uh I'm not sure about the Chinese animation because I've never seen it, but um you know, good for them. Uh it's good to see Chinese animation, you know, stepping up its game. Um however, I'm not sure if uh you've seen the uh trailer for Little Gobi, the uh Trewa invested uh animated movie, Paul. Have you I seen ha- the haven't trailer? Seen that
0: yet,
1: no. Yeah. You know, apparently Weinstein, the Weinstein's put some money into it, but it still looks like you know bad flash animation. Um, that could, if anyone in the Academy see it, they might take away the uh, Dream of Sha nomination away just just to you know just because they're in the same country because it was so bad. Um, never nevertheless, um, very glad the Asian animation is uh, kind of making its mark in America. Um, I'm almost sure some awards uh, will will not get shortlisted as the final three films uh, that gets nominated, but you know Funmation has the uh, has a distribution deal uh, in America and they're going to they're going to be releasing this on Blu-ray in February so I hope this is a very good um, kind of a buzz builder kind of a uh, a good way to build build um word of mouth in America hopefully encourage more people to see it because it's a really fine film
0: um what about the dream of jinsha are we going to be getting that here in Hong Kong anytime soon
1: I have no idea I I'm not even sure if it's playing in China at all uh, oh, it was released in China. It was released in China in July. Fu Hua Sha. Uh, Chinese animation don't do much money here. Not even the um, Pleasant Goat and the whatever Wolf thing. It's, it gets is shown on TV here, but it does very little money in, in Chinese di- in Hong Kong cinemas. So uh, I think Chinese animation, just like Chinese movies, um, have a very tough time here in Hong Kong. So I, I doubt we'll be able to ever be able to see it here.
0: Yeah, what do you think about something like? Uh- <coughs> you know, Legend of the Guardians or a toy story having to go up against, um, you know, Summer Wars, which is sort of traditional uh, 2D animation. Do do you think we're getting to a point where categories need to be uh, a little bit more segregated out? Or do you think it's, you know, as long as it's, you know, basic animation, it counts? Because, I mean, film itself is really a type of animation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, just still pictures instead of still
1: drawings well i'd be more worried about the other way around actually i'd be more worried about some of you know traditional 2D animation going up against 3D animation because you know a movie with better uh production techniques uh say toy story say uh legendary guardian say uh wasn't shrek on that list yeah shrek these these big budget hollywood animation that costs 100 million dollars they're always going to beat you know, to traditional two D animation in terms of aesthetics, in terms of production values, in terms of uh, well, pretty much anything. So actually, I'd be more worried about um, small these t- traditional two D animation trying to beat out these you know big bad American three D animation. Um, as for whether we should we need to um, separate these two categories, I think it's too early to say because the anime anime care category just started recently, didn't it? It, it took a while for this. Category to build up in the first place. Yeah, so if there's gonna be any changes. Um I doubt if if we'll come when they will come um, It won't be within this decade. I don't think So
0: for our next bit of news Kevin, you've got a couple of news stories to talk about uh, Next one up is the something about the Golden Horse Awards.
1: Yes, the Golden Horse Awards was uh, announced and given out this past Saturday um, this is the second consecutive year I've had to skip live tweeting this. Um, this is quite an important award because it was the one that did the unprecedented and gave Aaron Kwok two consecutive Best Actor awards. So it is obviously a very important and very uh, respectable awards um, award ceremony. Um, no, seriously, it is it is um, one of the bigger Chinese language film awards and um, it was given this past weekend and uh, for Taiwan, very good news for Taiwan because... Um, well from the it, it was predicted that it would be um a sweep by bodyguards and assassin, and turns out you know exactly opposite because um three local films, uh When Love Comes by Zhang Zo Chang Chi, um Manga, the, the big uh, blockbuster by those who uh the uh, gangster film, and uh the fourth portrait by uh director Chang Meng Hong. Um, they each won three awards And actually this is quite a big deal because um, It's been a very long time Since Taiwanese films uh, Got this kind of attention uh, Both critically and commercially um, And uh, So the, When Love Comes uh, Took home uh, Best Picture uh, The Fourth Portrait uh, Took home Best Director Which is you know, quite impressive because this uh, director Chung Mang Hong's second film, his first film was Parking, I believe from like two years ago or so. So it was very impressive. His second film is already getting the Best Director Award at um, the Golden Horse Awards. And uh, Manga won Best Actor, which is one of the more, I guess, disputed award of the evening because it went to uh cover young a young, I guess idol type actor, Ethan Ren. Um he was okay in the film and I'm one of the people who are disputing this because he, he's okay in the film. I mean I can't say that he was bad. Um he was fine in the film, but I don't think he, he was going to beat out, you know, actors like Wan Shre Chi from uh, Bodyguards and Assassin, or, you know, all the other people in um all the other big big stars in that category. Um meanwhile, um when Love Comes also picked the Best Actress, another highly disputed award because everyone was um, expecting, um, I think, Shufan from uh, Aftershock to win. Um, actually, this morning, we, I just read a story about... Um, how Feng Shaogang is uh, openly criticizing the the uh, Golden Horse Awards on his um, Weibo, uh, sign a sign a tw- uh, microblog, uh, or Chinese Twitter, as I would call it. And the uh, the Golden Horse Committee said something about how Shu you know, Fan wasn't good enough. And it's just been kind of a war of words be- between Feng Gang, who is Shu Fan's husband, by the way. Uh, this war of words on Chinese Twitter uh, about how his wife lost the Best Actress Award. Hmm. Um Anyway, so quite an impressive year for Taiwanese films. Um, I'm not sure if this still means that Taiwanese film is on the way to a comeback, but um, for now, I think, I think a party is in order.
0: All right. Our fourth story this week, uh, once again, something about erotic film. Uh, we're not trying to make this into the erotic podcast, but we take news as we get it. So, Kevin, what's this news about?
1: Yeah, um, everyone who thought that 3, 3D Sex and Zen is going to be the first 3D um, porn film or softcore porn film, you'd be wrong because the Korean film Natalie is on its way to Hong Kong. Um, I think it got very little attention in Korea. Um, it's a Korean film, by the way. Sorry. Um, it was um, shot in 3D. And uh, I think the distributor who, is, uh, who also released uh, the classy, classy Kung Fu Chef... And um, all the other great Venice Wu movies here in Hong Kong, they're doing the um, distribution. And they're releasing it here on December ninth. Um, I have a trailer up. Uh, I think Paul, you have a link, so you're gonna put it up later. I suppose. Uh, I assume, um, of the local trailer, and it's hilarious because it starts off with you know what sounds like a 50-year-old guy doing a voiceover, suggest, um, introducing the film, and it also comes back at the end, you know, saying this is the first 3D movie and how you can you can feel it and touch it. Uh, the film itself, I, I can't say it looks very bad. I mean, it looks like a traditional, I guess, softcore porn film. Um, but uh, just the way that the, the very cheap and very quick way the distributor is trying to shove this in the theater to get the, to get, um, what would I like to say, the, the first... Taste of soup, I guess we we say in Cantonese. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of funny, uh, and it kind of smells like you know cheap '80s um, distributing distributing work here. Um, so all you have a chance, so check out the trailer.
0: This is gonna be. I mean, has this taken the 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 title of first 3D erotic film then away from Sex
1: and Zen 3D? Yes, actually, it's been taken away for quite a while because I think when Sex and Zen 3D was beginning production, this film was already in post-production and it was already, they already announced that it was going to be done and it seemed like the, um, the directors, I guess the investors were going to, uh, to, to rely on a foreign market to, to uh, make money back on this movie and it certainly has worked because look, it's coming to Hong Kong.
0: Hmm. Well, if uh, that's your thing, uh, it's a Christmas come early, I guess. <laughs> you can't touch this touch this you Can't touch this you Can't touch this My 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 my, my music hit me
1: so hard makes me say, oh my lord, thank you for blessing me
0: when I mind to run and take high feel good when you know you're down All right that's going to wrap it up for our East Screen news this week uh so now let's move on to our East screen topic. Now, we're just going to do a little bit of catch-up. As I said earlier, we're going to talk about two of the films that we talked about last time, uh, one of which I hadn't yet seen and the other of which uh, Kevin wasn't here to talk about. So let's, you know, set the way back Machine uh, for episode uh, 48 for a moment and talk about Vampire Warriors. Uh, So, Kevin, uh, I gave my spiel on Vampire
1: Warriors last time. Now it's your turn. Okay um well i don't think i have to talk about the plot anymore right because there's very little bit of it anyway um dennis s y law Uh, if anyone follow my twitter it seemed like i had my expectations very high not not for this movie to be good but for it to be bad because we know that you know mr law uh it's not just simply not i'm sorry i know he went to film school and everything but he just simply not capable of making a good movie i don't know why um, he needs to hire a better screenwriter maybe Or someone who's not him to be screenwriter Or he needs to hire a better editor Or someone who will defy his wishes And actually cut movies In a normal pace or something But yeah Dennis, Mr. Dennis S. Y. Law is just not Capable of making a good movie Which is why I want Vampire Warriors To be as bad as possible Because then if he's trying to make a good movie It would just be kind of be boring You know yeah. Um and it was very really close, and I was not disappointed because Vampire Warriors really sucked. Um, it, I mean, what how, how can I say? I mean, you have, a, you have a vampire hunter who only walks around all, all night, and then she lives in a shack in the middle of in a place that seems to be Yomate, and then it goes in this, you know, real-time scene It's like 15, 20 minutes long where vampires are hanging around doing nothing. You know, even in it, you know, in any movie where you have any characters, I don't care if they have angel wings, they have a 11 inch peanuts, you know, or or um or you know, F cup breasts standing around talking for 15 minutes. I'm sorry, you just cannot make a good movie out of that. Um, apparently, Mr. Law's point um, in Vampire Warriors, uh, it does have a point. Was that um, he wanted to make a film about? finding meaning in life, and that if you don't find meaning in your life, then you're living like a vampire. I definitely got the point because I, I found a meaning in my life, and that was not to watch Vampire Warriors again. Um, but uh, anyway, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a curiosity. It fulfilled a curiosity in that it's almost, how do I say, morbidly entertaining to see such incompetent filmmaking. On screen Because only a man like Dennis S.Y. Law Who, who is a you know, real estate developer and, and uses film as a side hobby And doesn't care about the money Could actually make such a bad film Because no one dares say no Especially to a real estate developer Who the hell would say no to that I'm going to lose all my flat If I ever say no to Mr. Law So it's, uh, so it's, it's, almost, it's, it's Really entertaining And it's you know, morbidly fascinating To see such bad filmmaking on screen because you know you'll never see it again. You know, no one since Ed Wood has been so consistently bad at filmmaking. And to me, I, I think Mr. Dennis S. Wilde, I, I'll just, I'm just going to say right here, I'm calling him the Hong Kong Ed Wood.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I watched this uh, documentary that I rented off of iTunes last weekend called uh, Best Worst Movie and mm-hmm. it's about this film that came out i guess it came out in the early 90s called Troll 2 mm-hmm. and it's made by this italian filmmaker who's made a ton of films who went to utah and just got a bunch of no name actors to you know be in this film and this film has since gone on to be considered the worst film of all time but it's it's gained cult status now because of that because it's it's sort of so so bad it's good kind of a thing and and when they were talking they had different film people in the documentary talking about the film you know they were comparing it with you know some of the stuff by Ed Wood and and they were talking to some of the fans and they were saying things like the idea is that the the people involved really cared you know they they, they didn't know they were making the worst movie ever they were really into what they were doing and that, that they feel that that still holds true, that still comes through uh, somehow, and, and the fans pick up on that, and they have fun with it. And I think you can say the same for, you know, some of some of Ed Wood's films, and that's why they continually get screened and released, and people see them at festivals and things. But, you know, as I watched this film, because I when I saw the trailer, I was actually kind of excited, and I talked about this last time. The trailer gave me expectations of that I was going to see something different than what I actually saw which was basically a bunch of people stuck in this lot and going around and talking about stuff that if you were a vampire you wouldn't talk about um so so it was it just nothing gelled up um the 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 scenario didn't gel up in the film the trailer didn't gel up with the movie it was all sort of just very hodgepodge, and it's like they just threw it together. You know, Tim made the comment about the crane, you know, that you have all these people doing wire work, and there just happens to be a crane in some of the shots, you know, because it's just there in the way. And it's that kind of lack of attention to detail or or just trying to rush things through. I mean, Hong Kong films were rushed through in the 80s and 90s, but people cared about, you know, what they were doing. And now it's, I don't know, it's kind of like, they just didn't care with this movie. Um, and it. it I, as I watched it and I thought about Bad Blood, I found myself really missing and, and having a sense of fondness for Bad Blood. Bad Blood wasn't a good movie, but it was a lot better than this one. Um, but this, you know, to talk a little bit about Director Law, I, you know, I keep hoping that he'll get better. And one of the comments in the last episode uh, from Gary had said that apparently he's not going to be making any more films for a while, and that he is going to be looking to the north. I guess you know uh, he's got an eye on the mainland market and the money there, which means that you know obviously he's not going to be able to make vampire films or supernatural type of stuff or things like Bad Blood, where um, you know villains get away with murder and things. Um, but I, I, I you, you'd think that through trial and error. You know, the the process over time, you start out as sort of a cruddy filmmaker, you make a lot of films, and you get better as you go. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. So it's it's kind of mystifying to me. Um, on the one hand, I'm sad that he's not going to be making any any films because I wanted him to get better. But on the other hand, if he's just going to make cruddy films, that's bad, that looks bad, that reflects badly on the cinema in general.
1: Well, you know, I, I I'm going to argue and say that I don't think Dennis Law ever means to make a bad movie because again, it is his own money and he is so involved in the movies. He writes himself and, and he, he's so, in, and he's a producer obviously and he's so involved with it that I, I doubt that he ever, you know, just ever say doesn't care. Um, he does hire very quality people. I mean, Herman Yao shot this film. Uh, he's also worked with Charlie Lamb. Um, these respectable people. I think I, I think it's just a case of him, being such a boss so involved with the film that no one dares to say no to him because he is the boss, and, and he, he everyone does pretty much do it you know to get paid, I think. Um, they were act professionally, just like the '80s I'm sure that you know when actually I would argue that people in the '80s because they were working so fast that they actually care less that it was even more workmanship at the time and almost as much, as much workmanship. There is in the Dennis Law movies. I think it's just a matter of somehow him not learning how to make a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's a very sad thing. It's almost like a dyslexic, you know, dyslexic child trying to make, trying to write, you know, write a novel, you know, and and, and thinking that he's written the Great Gatsby, but he's only written like, you know, a uh, uh, pleasant goat goes to town or something <laughs> every time. <laughs> and it's just kind of sad to look at it. But at the same time, it again, this is fascinating. To see to see such filmmaking, I think, and I i guess that's where the Edward comparison comes from. Is that Edward didn't know he's making a bad movie, and I don't think Dennis Law knows that he's making a bad movie. You know, if he thinks that money, him making movies for mainland China, will mean that he will make movie, he will make money. I I think again, no, it it's just it's just delusional. You know, he might as well just stick to Hong Kong and do all the violence and do all the sex and do all the crap that he wants without Without the censorship stopping him because you know if anyone's gonna say no to him it's gonna be Chinese government and when the Chinese government says no to him he's gonna be upset and he's gonna come back to Hong Kong anyway
0: alright well let's uh move on to our other film we talked about last time Under the Hawthorne Tree um, Kevin you got a chance to see this as did I thoughts? yes
1: Yes. any thoughts oh yes um I saw Under the Hawthorne Tree at the uh, as a closing film of the Asian Film Festival here um and uh, I remember you said you like, you like Zhou Dongyu, right? The, the girl. Yes. Right. I fell in love with her before I saw the movie. Because I actually saw her at the, um, I saw her at the uh, uh, um, press conference for the film. Um, and I, you know, I never saw, I didn't see much of the clip. Uh, she didn't really leave much of an impression on me. Except that her pale face made her kind of look like a doll. Um, that's what I remember. But then when she picked up that mic and started speaking. You know, and then I was like, oh, that's my gooey as I was say, she, was, she became my like gooey. you know, very cute uh, very, she was very nervous it's her first time in the film um, and she's very nervous and, and, and she's, you know, had that really cute innocent thing going uh, at a press conference um, that does kind of carry in the film and her and, and, and uh, Sean Doe um, they are really, are the best part of the film I think um, just one of Zhang Yimou's more simple movies um because it is adapted from novels, novel, so um, it, t- it takes too much shortcuts, I think, at points. Um, a, lo- a lot of transitions with the intertitles. Uh, I don't remember if we talked about this last time, but they used a lot of intertitles to skip over certain events of the book. Yeah, so far, like,
0: yeah, I think Tim mentioned it briefly, but that was one of the points that kind of annoyed me a little bit. It was like, yes. I, I don't know if they didn't have the budget to shoot those scenes, or they didn't know how to shoot those scenes, or they wanted to give the film more of a,
1: a novel-like feel. Well, um, what happened was that the novel is very long. I, Sean, Sean Doe he explained because he's read the novel, um, and of course he he's seen the film. So he the the novel is very very long. Very very long. So he would he would just simply call this film kind of a, a highlight of what happens in the book. Mm. So so in a way, I guess that's the only way Zhang Yimou could stick could stay faithful to the book is to to just. You know, glossed over. I'm sure he might have shot it. He might have, you know, the scriptwriters might have written it, um, but you do. He does have. He does. He, he is working with a cinematic, I guess, structure or cinematic time frame. So there's no way he could fit everything in. So I don't like the way they chose to do it. You know, the these intertitles would be like, uh, I fit, I put down this Coke. I'm, I'm drinking a Coke right now. I'm putting it down at a desk, um, and then you cut to black, and then you say twenty minutes later. Kevin took the garbage out And then next thing you know I'm in bed I'm sleeping already And that's the That's, that's how it's kind of That's how it That's kind of how The internet house work And it's it's very I said I think I said the word lazy After when I first Saw the film And um And and Ross Um Disagreed uh, He wouldn't say it's lazy But I'm still saying That it's lazy script writing More than anything Um and Other than that You know Zhang, Zhang Yimou for me Um He always worked better In parts than in whole Um I really, I wasn't really with the film in the beginning, but um, later on, there are really, really well directed parts of the film, and you know the parts that I like kind of expanded. I guess it kind of grew, and it kind of just overshadowed the parts that I didn't like. So now, I've in hindsight, I or in retrospect, uh, I, I like the film more than I did when I first um, saw it. Um, I still like uh, another Zhang Yimou simple, simpler film, I guess. Um, called uh, riding, riding Alone for Thousands of Miles. I like that movie more because um, you have more sense that Zhang Yimou is actually directing the movie, you know, rather than, uh, in a way, Zhang Yimou was kind of just standing, he was kind of pulling back for Hawthorne Tree, just kind of pulled back and and made a very simple story. And it's a fine film, but I wouldn't say it's one of his best, but um, I definitely, I think last week you guys were talking about how it compares to um, his, uh, his big budget martial arts film. And to me, Zhang Yimou was always, will always be a director who, you know, who knows how to take make simple stories, who knows how to make these small films. And he really excels at these small films. I mean, of course he was still working at a fairly high budget this time around, but nevertheless, he, he will always be better at these kind of small, simple films. And, you know, just, you know, uh, considering Under the Hawthorne Tree is part of that, that category. Um, that kind of puts it automatically as, you know, not a bad film. I wouldn't say it's one of the best, but uh I liked it and Joe Dong Yu. Jo Dong Yu. Don't don't go changing, girl. Don't go changing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Um I, what really blew me away, I mean, I think the leads were great. Um and I, as I sort of wrote in on the notes of the last episode after I saw it, the art direction was just phenomenal. I mean the way some of some of the places they were filming at, I don't know if they recreated those places or those places actually still exist, but just all the propaganda posters and the signage, um, you know, some of the songs that they were singing were just. It really captured the feel of sort of the Cultural Revolution period, and it was, it was really a little bit more political than I would have expected it to be for a Zhang Yimou film, um, in terms of. Uh, you know, maybe criticizing some of the attitudes of that period?
1: I, I think it's kind of smart in that if, if, you're, if you're critical of that period, all the stuff you see, you, you see it as kind of uh, satire. You know, the whole part where uh, the girl um, uh, talks about how she wants to do more for the country and blah, 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 this real idealistic speech and the teacher stands up and goes, well said, and then that's the end of the scene. Right. For me, that was funny. Yeah. But you know, for for some people who who buy into all this, you know, code revolution stuff, or, or who, anyone who buys in this whole communist thing, they would in that way they'll see it. Wow, yeah, really, well said. Or you know, they watch this whole whole hospital scene where someone gets gets kicked out of the hospital for the revolution. You know, you know, it depends on where your politics is, and it works both ways. And for me, that's really smart. I think. Um, again, because again, when I was watching it, I was feeling a different thing. I was like, oh this blah 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 blah. But then now I'm thinking about it again. Yeah, it almost seems kind of satiric to me. Yeah. And anyone who, who 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 has I think has some sort of I don't want to say intelligence, but anyone who, who who thinks a little more into it than 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 what it looks like, I think would might pick it up that way. And to me that's very smart. Um so about the art direction, again, I think Zhang Yi Mo he's he has he is big enough now that he could get any budget he wants. And I, I think this film had a surprisingly big budget. I think it has at least uh, fifty million RMB or thirty-five million RMB. Um, anyway, it's it's a fairly big budget for a simple film like this. Um, so I'm not surprised that the art direction is is fairly is, is not bad. Definitely not bad. Yeah.
0: The other thing that kind of shocked me was th- there's there's a there's a subplot in the film with uh, the the main character Jing Chu's friend who, like Jing Chu, is a student who's being sent out to the rural areas to do, uh, you know, re-education of, you know, to teach, to learn farming, but also to teach, you know, Mao's ideals and things uh, in the in the rural areas. And her, she has a friend who, you know, in, in the course of this ends up um, getting pregnant, and that causes a whole subplot issue and and that storyline was very reminiscent of Joan Chen's film um Shushu the Sent Down Girl I don't know if Mm -hmm. you've ever seen that but Mm -hmm. that is such a because it's that's taking place in the same time period it's almost a very similar story only that's sort of like on the dark side whereas this is all sweetness and light um and and so as I was thinking on that film and I was watching this film, I'm I'm like, these are like two polar opposites that are telling very similar stories in this same time period. And then the fact that he had this one girl who was her friend who sort of underwent this, you know, similar experience and ostracization and everything that happened. I thought it was kind of interesting because, um, um, uh, there was, there was a lot of controversy around Joan Chen's film, yeah, when it was when it was being made and i was I was kind of surprised
1: to see that in there. I really didn't like that part actually I thought the whole way it was handled seemed so how do i say it's very much much a bo- much do about nothing i suppose um at least to the main plot uh, at least this happens at least twice you know where uh hearsay causes the the puts a puts a-, a uh something in the relationship puts a, ho- a obstacle in the relationship and I know it's supposed to be a very simple story, a very clean story, I think a pure story, as one of the the ads say. But to me, this seems so uh, unimportant. It seems so insignificant. It seems like it was kind of frustrating to watch. It's just like, come on. Uh, And then when it was solved, and you're like, finally. And then, yeah, to me, it was almost like, one of the criticism I believe, was just saying, Zhang Yimou is being simple for the sake of being simple, or he's being, he's making a pure film for the sake of being pure. And I think that, that criticism is very valid. Um, it almost seems like he's trying too hard to do this, yeah, to do the, the pure I thing. Mean,
0: there, there was, uh, there are a couple of moments where the, 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 I guess you'd say the naivete of the characters is so highly unbelievable that it, it's, it's kind of hard to take, but I mm-hmm. think in the overall context of the film, it's fine. I mean, it's, it is what it is. you, there's, no, there's nothing really unexpected that happens here. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Okay, well, let's move on and get out of East Screen and talk about some West Screen stuff. We haven't talked about any West Screen stuff for a while, so let's do a little bit of catch up with that as well. Only really have one sort of news item this week for West Screen News, and that is it's Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, A lot of big movies have come out and are coming out because of the holiday. Uh, Biggest among them is currently the Harry Potter film, uh, the final book, part one, with, uh, with the... Uh, Darkly Hollows. The Deathly, Deathly Hallows, Hallows, part one, yes. Um, now, Kevin, you were you were tweeting earlier, I think, um, talking about the film revenue in China. Mm-hmm. And I saw this, and I was immediately angered, thinking to myself, why is this playing in China and it's not playing in Hong
1: Kong? Oh, it's very simple. I mean, China, um, piracy... Um, it also it's also open in Japan because Harry Potter is huge in Japan also it was a public holiday uh yesterday but in I Japan. mean is
0: it playing in cinemas
1: yeah yeah, yeah. in Chinese cinemas and in in and, 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 and in Japanese cinemas yes because in Hong Kong is very simple there's no holiday in November there's a holiday in December, so the kids get out of school in December so that's this this maximizes revenue here in Hong Kong it's a very simple scheduling holiday scheduling thing um I believe several countries are dealing with this um japan again public holiday china piracy it's very simple um it's bad but that's just the way you know these film scheduling stuff work it was actually november this november period um one way too packed i think um december 2nd there's at least six movies coming out and two no holidays so no way to let's face it uh, you know, a holiday period where you have uh, the school, uh, the school um, holidays, and you have the Christmas, and you have the holiday, and you have, um, and you have the public holidays. People are likely to go to movies on, uh, in more days than, say, November. Mm. So that's just how you deal with it. In China, it, it made ton of movie. T- I'm sorry, it made ton of money in China, but again, I think that was simply one of those um, big tempo movies that must be. Release day-to-day, day-and-day to prevent piracy. That's what it sounded like to me.
0: So any big uh, any big uh, Hollywood summer or Hollywood hol- holiday movies coming that you're excited about in particular?
1: I'm I, I kind of looking forward to uh, Love and Other Drugs. This is a Jake Gyllenhaal and a- Anne Hathaway uh, drama, the adult drama thing. There's some Oscar uh, buzz. Is that Oscar the one where they buzz. get naked? Well, there's some Oscar buzz for Anne Hathaway. Uh, director is Edward Swick, who's been kind of important. Who thinks he's too important to make small movies recently? So it's, I'm glad to see him making a small film. Um, it looks okay. Um, I'm not sure. If there's that many movies coming out this this Thanksgiving. I think it's more like a. It's gonna be Harry Potter holdover. Um, Mega Mine Unstoppable. I, I like Unstoppable actually. Um, for what it was. So I hope that um, it does well when it when it's rolling to um. Sorry, no pun intended. When it rose into uh, the holiday weekend, and um, then I'm more looking forward to the year-end rush of all the good, quote unquote, good movies, uh, the award bait movies. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we're not going to get those until January or February here. Um, but Christmas, Christmas, we uh, I look more forward to Christmas because uh, we have Mega Mine, we have um, Norwegian Wood, and um, those two films are I'm quite excited about. And then we roll in January where all the Mainland Chinese Christmas movies, like uh, If You're the One 2, uh, Let the Bullets Fly, um, and then the, the Oscar bait movies and Roll Right Into February, Lunar New Year. So it's going to be very exciting three months, but right now, it's just kind of a, a low premiere. Mm.
0: Right so l- let me let my inner geek out for a moment and, and pick your brain on this. Uh, mm-hmm. Tron 2. Ah, how yes. You, how do you think that's going to do here? Because try and find Tron on you know DVD. Uh, here is it's just not available. Uh, I have I have a VCD uh, with Chinese subtitles that I use to show some clips to students in class and things. And but it it's not a popular movie as Disney movies go. Um, I'm 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 wondering how this is going to play here. So what are your thoughts? Do you think it's going to play well?
1: Disney is going to have to work very very hard to establish this as a as a standalone movie here in Hong Kong, I think. And I think that's what it has to do for the rest of the world. Um because Tron is not a well known film, I guess. Um it's I'm sure it's well known the geek circle. Um and I say this endearingly because I am I am a bit of a geek. So I say this endearingly. Um, but yeah it's gonna have to work very hard and it has worked very hard. Uh the Daft Punk song is really good. Um, and and it's gonna work very hard to sell the visuals. It's got the IMAX going. It's got the 3D going. I think it's it might be the only game in town when it comes to 3D this Christmas. So it's gonna be um, again Christmas, but it's, it's got Harry Potter to deal with. So um, it's gonna have to fight for the the young adult or the you know the 20 year old the otaku um, special effects male market instead of Harry Potter. You got where you got the family. You got the the girls, the females. Um so it's going to be a kind of an uphill battle for Tron, I think. Still, I, I don't think it's going to flop. It just might not do as huge as Disney might have hoped.
0: Yeah. Um. Let me ask you, any, any rumors? Uh, I've heard rumors that uh, they're still trying to get a holiday spot sometime in December for Scott Pilgrim, which is already out on video. It's already, you know, um, you can rent it and stream it and see it in a whole bunch of other places. Um, they've even got it on DVD in some of the local shops. Um, have you heard anything about that?
1: No. And I don't think it's going to be able to pack it in because you got, you know, the Christmas is packed right now. You've got, um, let me look at the, I'm looking at the release schedule right now. You've got Harry Potter coming on the 16th. You've got um, Tron, uh, the Patrick Kong movie. I'm sorry to even mention this. Uh, Mega Mine uh, all coming on the 23rd. Gulliver's Travel with Jack Black. Uh, actually, three three D movies coming out on twenty third. I'm mm. sorry, uh, I had to correct myself. Three three D movies: Mega Mind, Gulliver Travels, and um Tron, all coming on twenty third. Uh, you got the new Ghibli movie, The Borrowers, coming on Christmas Day. Norwegian Wood on the thirtieth. Love and Other Drugs on the thirtieth. And this and this still still the end of November. Um. The, the schedule I'm sure For for mid-November uh December Hasn't been finalized uh, We might see A couple of small films But for a film like Scott Program You need The long I think you need To sell a movie like that You need a longer Term buzz You're gonna build Internet You gotta build Internet word of mouth yeah. You gotta You gotta appeal To the people Who, who use the internet And, and make them see, And And um, expose the film to them and there's just not enough time for that and plus the DVD is already out and it's all the streets already I mean there's very little point in booking the theaters and doing promotion um, I think direct-to-video it would probably do very well especially in the downloads sad to say and a bit torn, gonna do very well I think
0: for some West Screen stuff. So up first, at long last, the extraordinary extraordinary adventures of Adèle Blanc-Souk, uh, the French film that I've been dying to see. I was hoping to see during the summer. It got pushed into October and kept getting pushed back and pushed back, then finally got released and I got a chance to go out and see it. And what can I say? Luke, Basana. I like him. Uh, I like his style I like what he does in movies the influence that he has um this film is crazy fun as only Luc Besson can do it and it's ba actually based on a French comic book series of the same title uh, you know it's set in sort of a uh kind of a Victorian t- era so a semi-Victorian era of uh France the main character and she's sort of like I guess you describe her as a part Laura croft, part Indiana Jones and but she's she's also she tries to you know come off as sort of a uh you know a lady at times, but basically she's traveling the world to try and find um this this mummy uh because her sister has been put in sort of this catatonic coma state and she thinks this mummy. Who is uh, was actually the the doctor of a great pharaoh uh, will have the ability to cure her sister to bring her to sort of you know bring her out of the coma and bring her back to consciousness. You're gonna say, well, wait a minute, if it's a mummy, you know the, the, the guy's dead. Well, she has a professor friend who has psychic power, and he can utilize this psychic power to uh reanimate things and so you have to be able to accept that fact to 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 get into this movie if you can get beyond that sort of mystical you know magical part of it i think you'll have a lot of fun with it um, in that aspect it's a little bit kind of like v it's a little bit like the mummy uh, or the mummy returns so it blends science it blends supernatural aspects um, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen that there's a pterodactyl um, that gets resurrected, so it, it kind of is a little bit of a Jurassic Park feel. The effects are a little bit weak in places, um, but the characters, I think, and the art direction and just the style of this uh, really make up for it. Um, you, you know, if you go into this looking for state-of-the-art Hollywood-style effects, you'll be a little bit let down, but I think if you go in this looking for a film with a sense of fun, um, good pacing, and a sense of humor, uh, you'll really enjoy it. There, there were a couple sequences. There's a sequence where she's trying to break her professor friend um, out of jail that kind of goes on a little bit too long, but that might just be my sort of American sensibility, uh, rule of thirds kind of idea um, going on in, in my subconscious somewhere. But overall, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I can't wait to get it on, on video. Uh, hopefully it'll come out in a in sort of a, a U.S. A decent Blu-ray region or something that I can uh, get a hold of in the, in the future. And I'd say, yeah, if you get a chance, uh, definitely worth seeing in any format. All right, our other West Screen film we need to talk about, another big film for the year. The Social Network. Now, I haven't had a chance to get out and see this. I've heard great things about it. I do want to get out to see it at some point, even though I'm not on the Facebook, as they say. But, Kevin, you've seen it, so you're going to take us through it.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I was on Facebook. I totally didn't know what you were saying. (laughs) (laughs) I was kidding. Oh, okay. Social Network. Um, It's a film I've been looking forward to a very, very long time. Uh, Ever since I heard who signed up for it, I think we talked about... The, the production when it, when it first started on the show uh, as part of West Green News, I said that um, with David Fincher uh, and Aaron Sorkin and Trent Reznor on music, uh, it almost seems like the, the people for it is too good for this kind of story. And I'm wrong because the social network, um, the story itself is actually quite interesting. Um, don't take it seriously as a true story, first of all. Everything um, I've heard... Um
0: They've said that this is not really, you know, this is not really what happened in many ways, if you've read biographies and things. And that some people have even said, if you look at, um, who's the actor, who's, who's. Uh,
1: Jesse Eisenberg.
0: Yeah, they say, if you look at him and you compare him um, with the, the guy, uh, I'm doing terrible tonight. Mark Zuckerberg. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, yeah they said if you like go on to youtube and stuff and you see interviews mark zuckerberg giving interviews um the way that he talks his his sort of you know the the way he comes across is totally different from the way he's being portrayed here but everybody said that's fine you just take this as this sort of parallel universe kind of a thing you you don't take it as a a true story verbatim kind of a thing and it's
1: it's a great movie with great characters it is because well okay um the way that Jesse Eisenberg talks in the film is if you've seen anything from Aaron Sorkin um he's he did the West Wing he did Sports Night he did Studio sixty he wrote a few Good Men um the way that he 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 even kind of established a technique called a walk and talk um if you see seen it is is when two people walk down a very, very long hallway and direct the, the director would keep the camera on these people for like you know five minutes at a time and they would be just a barrage of dialogue back and forth and they'd be speaking very very quickly and almost everything is perfectly written very eloquent um very witty banter and there's no way anyone can ever talk like that and that's aaron sorkin's writing you know that's the way he writes and that's the way the social network was written everyone it's almost like this these are the smartest college kids in the world and i know they're at harvard but i'm sure not even harvard kids would speak like this in the real world so I could I could totally I could totally understand it because it's an Aaron Sorkin world. Um, one and two. Um, at one point, he even writes a line where uh, someone says during these um, these these deposition. Uh, I'll explain this after this. Is that most 85% of the things are exaggerated and 15% are myths, and that's pretty much explains what the entire film is. Which is actually very smart. Again, very smart thing. What what Aaron Sorkin does is that he frames the entire story around depositions. So it's almost like you're watching this rational style um, story about how Facebook is done, and you're not supposed to take anyone anyone's story as truth because these are all done in the in the in the point of view of uh, the people who told the story. So it it kind of it kind of gives itself lets itself off the hook by framing it this way, and it's very, very smart. Um, Again, the dialogue is very smart. The writing is very smart. The way that Sorkin builds the plot is very smart. He is... uh, It's a smart movie. It's as smart as Harvard is smart. Um, It it is smarter than the characters are smart. Um, And it almost comes off effortless. It's it's almost effortless. Because the story, it's a very simple story about how friends betray each other. But at the same time, yeah oh, it it captures what why people used to Facebook in the first place, why Facebook took off. Um, it covers the kind of the early period of Facebook, when it was still an exclusive um, social network, when it was still based in colleges. Um, and that's kind of I remember when I first used it. that's kind of what drew, drew me to it. The fact that you got this exclusive club or this exclusive online thing that only, university students could use. I remember how upset I was when they finally opened the Facebook to everyone. You know, even elementary school students could use Facebook. And I thought, oh no, I've, I've lost this exclusive creativity. And I, I found myself um, actually thinking how juvenile I was when I was watching a movie. Because that, it kind of presupposes that that's why Mark Zuckerberg started his Facebook because he couldn't get into the exclusive clubs in Harvard. So he kind of wanted to be, not he didn't not, he only not or he not only wanted to be in it, he wanted to run it. And that's um, what the movie presupposes, why he started Facebook. And um, it's very interesting. Um, so, like I said earlier, this movie is about how these two friends, how one friend betrays, and, and how this friendship disintegrates. So Jesse Eisenberg is, um, is working very closely with uh, an actor named Andrew Garfield. Um, I think you might have heard his name before, especially you, Paul, because Mr. Garfield is the next Spider-Man. Um, he will be in this uh, the Spider reboot uh, Man reboot. I'm sorry, and um, the Social Network kind of proves that he will. He, it almost raises raises expectations up for him because he's very good in the film as uh, Eduardo Severin. He is the co-founder of Facebook, and he's the one to get screwed over. Um, and he plays that off very well. He's not just your typical type hunk actor. He he definitely. Shows a very vulnerable side in the film. And he's... Um, Mr. Garfield is a hell of an actor. I think he, he even overshadowed Jesse Eisenberg. Who actually is very good here. Because I've only seen Jesse Eisenberg in Zombieland. So I thought he was coming off as this another eccentric... Uh, Michael Cera type uh, comic actor. But he does... He's very good. He's surprisingly good here as uh, Mark Zuckerberg. He, these two actors... Uh, they do the Aaron Storkin stuff very, very, very well. They have obviously have... Um, I'd say screen chemistry because that that kind of you know suggests that they're in some kind of romance. But no, they they're very good at playing off each other as actors, and and their scenes are great. Uh, they're very good. Um, and not only is writing smart, David Fincher. He he, I know he was known earlier for for more, I guess, genre films like you know Alien, Free, um, Seven, uh, Panic Room. I guess more visually demanding films. But you know, since Zodiac, he's become a very strong dramatic director as well. Um, I'm writing the notes here. I'm looking at the notes here. I think he's starting to echo uh, early Francis Ford Coppola. You know, uh, an actor, uh, director who can take these wordy, compelling. You know, not very. How do I say? Not very. Um, not very bang-bang uh, crime movies, you know. Um, I would say The Godfather, because The Godfather, had, I know The Godfather has gunshots, but most of the film is actually quite mellow. And most of the film is actually quite uh, slow in the way that it tells the story, but it's always really entertaining. It's almost hypnotic that you can always watch it again and again and you, and you wouldn't be bored. And that's kind of what David Fincher is starting to echo in how he directed the film. This movie is it's just, it's just two hours of conversation, essentially. It's two hours of people talking and talking and talking and talking faster and they're talking slower and they talk more. And David Fincher captures, not only captures talking, but he knows how to make it entertaining or make it interesting to watch. Um, I think it's his best effort since... I would dare say seven, I think. It's best from since seven. This is best directing work since seven. I think Fight Club is a great film again. Um Panic Room a Fine Genre film. Uh Benjamin Button a little misstep misstep. But um Social Network is I think it's Fincher's best film since seven. This is best directing work. Um other than that, I mean there's really very little flaw. I think if there's a little flaw is that how it cap how how it didn't explained. Um what happened after Facebook became open? It no longer became exclusive. I think Aaron Sorkin had to had to not deal with that because the way he, he presupposes these characters, and if if he include that, that would pretty much undo everything he's done in setting up Mark Zuckerberg. And um, that's kind of a cop out. But other than that, you know, it's a very entertaining film to watch, uh, even though it is two hours of talking and. I would gladly watch it again in cinema and I would gladly buy the Blu-ray and I would just gladly put in the background I would just listen to the dialogue. It's really one of the best films of the year. And I think it captures, it really is kind of like the modern, a modern, how do I say? It really does capture the internet generation very well, even though it is captured by two 40 to 50 year old men. I think it, it really does capture what we, how we use the internet and the dangers of the internet And why are we so obsessed with the internet and what the internet has become? Um, It really does reflect, you know, society. It really does reflect us. Uh, So, yeah, I really like this film. All right. That's a
0: like from Kevin. Yes. All right. Our final film this week is the new science fiction feature, Skyline. Uh, Kevin, you haven't seen this, have you?
1: No, and yeah. I'm not sure if I will. Um,
0: so, Skyline is the latest from the brothers Strauss, uh, as they go by, who are um, primarily known for special effects work uh, for various f- features and uh, and films. Um, they've worked on a lot of the Alien films, the Predator films, um, the Alien versus Predator films, and this is sort of a new low-budget kind of independent feature that they put together um, with a very small cast and a whole lot of special effects, uh, kind of done on the cheap. Uh, The story basically follows the main character known as Jared, who's played by Eric Balfour, um, an actor you may recognize if you watched the sci-fi channel series Haven over the summer. Um, And his girlfriend going out to uh, the west coast to visit uh, uh i guess his friend from from high school and who's made it big now and he's he's sort of rich living in a penthouse and so they're going out for you know just sort of a, a weekend to hang out the film actually has the film starts with uh on the event which is you know not really a spoiler Uh, it's shown on all the posters ships coming down a la independence day Uh, only this time and the beams they send down don't blow up buildings they start to suck people up into them as if people were magnets Um, and so the the way in which they do this is they send down these lights and when people see these lights they are attracted to them kind of like moths you can't resist but going into the light so guess you know there's a little bit of poltergeist action they're going to you know step into the light, and then it sort of jumps back to give you uh you know who are these characters, why did they get here and so there's twenty minutes of of build up like you know the day before them flying in and meeting uh with uh Jared's friend and uh, what are they what are they doing out here, and they're gonna have a big party and that's it's just so unnecessary i think they could have probably somehow revealed the relationships of these characters very quickly very simply cuz it doesn't really matter in the end this is a very straightforward kind of a plot uh a, you know the typical low budget horror sci-fi plot where you've got a very limited area and you've got you know a very limited cast and it's basically that cast in that area you know so like in in the saw film they did this very well, you had two actors in a room, basically, for most of the film. Here, you've got about five actors in this high-rise building, and everybody else is gone at, at a point, and they're watching these events happen, and they're, they're not sure, should they leave? Should they stay? At some point, they want to leave, but then they see that's too dangerous. They, they, want, they decide to stay, but then supplies start running out, and you've got all these things going on outside, just outside the window, um, which... You know, that's all the eye candy. And that part, the eye candy, I think works really well. Uh, These guys know their visual effects. Um, The visual effects are pretty amazing, especially considering the budget that this was done for. Um, The story itself, though, is just sort of a mashup. You take a little bit of Independence Day, a little bit of Cloverfield, a little bit of District 9, a little bit of War of the Worlds, you know, put them in a bowl mix for a couple hours and add a few million dollars, and what you get is skyline um and that's the big problem the characters here are not that interesting um you're not really given enough time or motivation to care for any of them all you really want to do is keep seeing what's going on outside which the characters don't want to do um they they end up covering up the walls because they don't want to be discovered they don't want to be seen um and but that's you know, that's where the, the audience wants to see. They want to see what's going on just outside the window. Um, the last 20 minutes of the film is when things really start to pick up. And so the, at that point, things get really strange. And it starts to make this shift from some of the references to films I talked about earlier. And it becomes a whole lot like a video game storyline. Um, and if you've played video games like Half-Life or Resistance, Fall of Man, or even a lot of the designs and, and a lot of the things you see visually are really sort of riffing on those. And I think it's got a pretty unsatisfying ending uh, as endings go. I don't, I won't give any spoilers out, but I'll say I think it's going to leave a lot of people disappointed unless you are somebody who's a gamer. And if you're a gamer, you've probably seen <laughs> endings like the ending you'll see before and it won't be that jarring to you but i think for the average film goer um it's not a very satisfying ending um but i would say i still had fun in this film i still got substantially good entertainment out of it um the the film for me is what i expected monsters which i talked about back in episode 46 should have been um You know, although you do get a lot of people talking at various points and complaining and arguing about stupid stuff, given the, you know, fantastic events that are going on around them at any given moment, it still does pay off visually for the most part, which is something I think Monsters really failed to do. So I would say if you are a sci-fi fan, if you've got the time, it's definitely worth, you know, going and checking out at a matinee. Um, It's certainly better than the a- Alien versus Predator films. And I'd say, hey, bring on a sequel. I'd be up for it. Um, I'd like to see where this goes. Apparently there's a bit of controversy with this film. It's under lawsuit with Sony because the brothers were, their, their little production studio was supposed to be working on another similar type of uh, alien invasion film, something called Battlefield Los Angeles, or uh, let's
1: see if I can... But that film already got made. Better um, Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, it's it's, uh, but it's not being released until 2011. And mm-hmm. so because they did this one, and because they're saying the storylines are quite similar, um, they're trying to sue the brothers because they said, "Oh, you guys worked on this, and you're you're sort of undercutting us by doing an early release." And they're saying, "No, we didn't do anything wrong. We've had this release slot scheduled forever." And um, so you know, it's one of those big Hollywood you know more money than god so we'll just sue each other kind of things hmm. um but yeah i you know I, again i think this is a gotta gonna have a very sort of niche market some people said this is comparable to some of the made for tv movies that you, you would see on the sci-fi channel or something i think it's a little bit better than that but not by much All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our show number 49 for this week. Um, so let's see, where can you get in touch with us? Well, we've got a website that's at www.congcast.com. And you can also check us out over on iTunes. Um, we'd love to hear with your thoughts over there. If you'd like to leave us a review, we've we got a couple good reviews that we talked about last time. And you can follow each of us on Twitter. You can find my Twitter over at the website. You can follow Mr. Ma at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, among other places. And he also does some writing from time to time when he's not uh, doing his 10 other jobs that he does. Uh, Where can they find your
1: writing at, sir? Um, You you mostly find me uh, on a weekly basis almost um, at www.ypmovies.com.hk. Uh, I do write about the uh, English language releases here in Hong Kong, Uh, at least whatever plays in a certain cinema chain that I won't mention. Um, And once in a while, you will see me writing reviews at www.lovehkfilm.com. Also, the blog, The Golden Rock, which you can access from the homepage, I do write once in a while. I do plan to finish that Hong Kong Asian Film Festival entry. I promise you, I will. Um, yeah, and otherwise, just find me on Twitter and also I'm on YesAsia.com. Uh, me and many wonderful editors, we work very hard to keep the content uh, grammar error-free and uh, introduce as many good products to you all as possible. Our, our latest recommendation will be Rain of Assassins and Detective D and the Mystery of the Phantom Flame. So uh, you, all, you also find me in the Yumchak section under the uh, fake name, Alias Rockman. Uh, once in a while, you write editor's picks there.
0: All right. And if you'd like to uh, write us here at the show, you can leave comments over on the website, and we'll talk about some of those on the show from time to time. You can also send us an email. We have a new email address, and that is at gmail.com. I finally decided to move away from Hotmail for a bit and do some Gmail. So you can send us a... Send us a Gmail email, or if you'd like to attach an audio file um, you can, as a question, you can send that over too, and we'll play that here on the show. Mr. Ma, any final thoughts?
1: No. Um, well, again, a big, big congratulations to Kozo, a.k.a. Ross Chen, and the new Mrs. Chen. Oh. Uh, all those, in case you, know, you guys don't know, every tag, almost every tag of Kozo wedding is fake, by the way. Huan Bo did not show up, and D.R. did not show up. He can chant it, though. Yeah. Thanks to Paul, you can change this (laughs) one.
0: That's a story for another day. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's uh, that's it for this episode. Next time we should be back on episode fifty, which will be happening in two weeks. uh, We'll talk a little bit about maybe Bruce Lee, my brother, among other things. Um, So yeah, until next time. As always, we will wish you good viewing, and we'll see you then. See you next time, everybody.
1: So, stay in Hong stay in Hong Kong then, Mr. Law. Stay in Hong Kong. We, I like you. I'll I watch your <laughs> movies. Uh, I want to pay 40 bucks at the Dynasty, but I'll watch your movies. Come back. I won't buy your DVDs, but i watch your movies. Come back. Stay. Please. Mr. Wood. I mean, Mr. Law. Please. <laughs> um, um, the guy is, is a little creepy, don't you think? I mean, he, he watches a girl play volleyball from afar. Of all sports, <laughs> volleyball. From behind a brick wall, and then later on, they go to a pond. You know, two of them, just the two of them. And what he buy? What does he buy her? A swimsuit. <laughs> you know, those two things. And you know, she won't go to the hospital. I'll take a knife and slice my arm.
0: Yeah, well, it's you but, know, it's you know, I, I believe love, in free love strikes. Love those borders things. on insanity, I guess. I, you know,
1: yeah, those are my free strikes. Sorry, yeah. I don't think it's really as pure as it's hey, trying to look, sell. Look at, look
0: at Romeo and Juliet, you know? It's like, okay, we can't be together, so we'll drink poison,
1: right? I, hey, hey yeah. that, that movie had nipples and it was very PG, all right? <laughs> <laughs> that was pure, right? <laughs> <laughs>